g'day everyone and welcome back to the extras. My name is Mike. And I'm Sam. And uh, we are finally actually into the book of Romans. We've done some of the groundwork, we've given you some resources, some foundations, but actually we started preaching on Romans last yeah, Sunday. Well, it's good to get underway. It's been uh, it's been awesome running up to Romans. We've loved getting our heads into it, putting all these resources together that many of you are taking hold of, so thanks for getting involved in them. Uh, but now we're into it, we're preaching it, it's good. I mean, you've been thinking Romans for months, so yeah, is, that, is that fair to say? I pretty much put down Colossians at the end of term one yep. and uh, picked up Romans at that point and I've been reading and I've been thinking and I've been praying and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Terrific, mate. So uh, on Sunday, you gave us a big overview. Of... Yeah, Andrew and I gave two overview talks to, across the day on Sunday. So uh, if I missed it, what did I miss, mate? Yeah, you missed the overview. Um, and uh, if you missed it, jump online. The sermons are up on the website. Um, you can have a little bit of a listen there. Um, really, both of us were trying to sort of, we were trying to do two things. Um, one is to show that this is a very significant letter. Um, it's had greatness. A, yeah. The presence of greatness, I remember. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Andrew called it the, the, the greatest letter, letter ever written. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, uh, it, it is one of the treasures of the Bible. Um, it's significant. It's had a huge impact throughout history. And I guess I wanted to ask the question, why is that the case? Um, and I, there are really two reasons. One, it's concerned with the gospel message. Um, and then following on from that, that at the heart of the gospel message is the righteousness of God. And so we, we spent a bit of time on Sunday unpacking what the righteousness of God is all about, both in terms of part of God's character, um, but then also as a gift that he gives to unrighteous people um, who have no righteousness of their own. And so um, God's righteousness is hugely tied up in his justice and his goodness and his moral and ethical rightness mm-hmm. um, but it's also something that he graciously gives to those who don't have it um, so that they can be right with him um, and so that's that's where we were on Sunday um, and then thinking through I guess some of the implications of that in terms of us believing those things about God um, and, and if we if we don't either both believe that God is just and going to deal with sinners like us then we're not going to understand our need for the gospel nor are we going to understand a need to go out and preach the gospel to the world to make disciples um, because uh, we we won't think there's much need for that. Terrific, mate. Terrific. So righteousness is a big theme in Romans 1 to 4. Where I want to dive in with some questions this morning is uh, some people have um, uh, very helpfully are trying to match the righteousness of God that you talk about, God doing always what is right and fair just, with what we actually read in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, where it talks a lot about um, God predestining some for salvation. Um, and so people are asking questions, Sam, how do we kind of, how do those things fit together? If God always does what's right, but he, he predestines some and not others, that, that sounds not right mm-hmm. or, or not righteous. Um, help us out, mate. How, how do we kind of um, how do we marry those two great theological truths? God is righteous, and God predestines. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions on this talks about is is God being showing favourites here? Um, that he's sort of being favourite, uh, yeah, showing favouritism to those he saves as opposed to those he doesn't. Mm. Um, and straight up front, Romans two eleven, little verse for you there. God does not show favoritism. Right. That, that's that's really important to hold up. That God is just and He is righteous. Um, 
And but the context around Romans two eleven is he is doesn't show favoritism when it comes to his um, judgment. Right. Um, all people, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, um, whether they are relatively good or relatively bad, it doesn't matter. They will all face the judgment of God, and God doesn't show favoritism. Um, okay. And all of us, at that sense, are under his judgment. Um, what Romans 9 to 11, and we're not getting to that in this series. Uh, we will get there. We'll keep preaching through the book of God Romans. God willing, yeah. Uh, yeah, God willing. Um <laughs> What Romans 9 to 11 explores, though, is, well, how does that fit with God's decision to be merciful? Um, and uh, Esau and Jacob, which, again, I mentioned in one of the questions here, are, are referenced in, in Romans 9, verse 11. So just yep. as you're listening to this out there, why don't you grab your Bibles? Because we're, we're going to read a bit of Romans 9, aren't we, Sam? Yeah. this really does going to answer the question as, as more clearly than you and I could. Yeah. And Romans it, anticipates the question. That, that's exactly right. Um, and uh, dealing with, with Jacob and Esau, the twins that Rebecca bore, um, they come out more one after the other. Um, and then there's this little comment... Um, where that God elects um, Jacob and not Esau. And so, uh, verse 11, uh, before the twins were born or, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So election, predestination, calling, this is all kind of the same sort of language. Is that right, Sam? That's right. And it's the language that when it comes to salvation, God chooses. God elects. Um, And that electing was done even before you came to be. It's not like God looks out across the sea of humanity that exists and goes, oh, I like that one and I don't like that one. I'll take them and not them. Mm. Uh, He actually chooses even before you exist. But before the creation of the before world. Before the creation of the Ephesians world. Ephesians 1, isn't it? That's exactly right. Um, and God's purpose in election is to stand, um, and he chooses one and not the other. Well, I mean, that doesn't sound fair. I mean, surely that's unrighteous. Is that right? Well, that's where the question comes. Mm, okay. Um, and uh, that's the questions that have come in on the text. And if you keep reading in verse 14, Paul, he's already anticipated your response. He's a clever guy, Paul. Yeah. Um, and so he says, what shall we say? Is God unjust? That's the question we're asking. Is that fair? Mm. Doesn't doesn't feel fair? Mm. Um, and then he says, uh, not at all. Mm. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, how does that answer it? I guess it answers it in that God doesn't owe mercy to anyone. God owes justice to everyone. And we know that, as we've already, well, by, by the time you've got to Romans 9, you've already read Romans 3, and what you discover in Romans 3 is that there is no one righteous, not, not even, even one. one. All have turned away, all have rejected God, and all are guilty under the law. So what does God owe? If God is to be utterly and truly and perfectly fair, what does he owe? He owes justice. And that means everybody gets judgment. Mm. Nobody is saved. Everybody goes to hell. That, that's that's what fairness and justice will go. But God is, uh, and so God is not unjust in in punishing some. That they're getting exactly what they deserve. Esau gets exactly what he deserves. But God's justice is is one, is one aspect of His 
person that must be held together with his mercy. Mm. God is a God of mercy. And here, the answer to, to uh, the, the little quote about Moses is that God speaks to Moses and he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion. So God is not bound to show mercy, but He's but he freely gives it. Um, and now there is an element of mystery in that. Um, yes, there is. In that... We are not told the basis upon which God shows that mercy, but he does show mercy and he shows it freely. So it's not necessarily favoritism. No, um, but it, 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 there's, a, there's a bigger... If you keep reading in Romans 9, yeah. he says, it, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Uh, So the point there is that actually God has a bigger agenda, and the agenda is to display his power uh, and to to, to proclaim his name. And sometimes God does that by bringing justice. And and when he punishes people, he is on display as the righteous and fair God. Other times he displays his power and his... um, it makes his name great by showing mercy. As people see him having mercy on someone who doesn't deserve it, they say, wow, God is great. And God does both, but the bigger principle is, is that God, God's name is at the centre and God's glory and power is at the centre of things. And, and we find this hard to get our heads around because mm. we think, well, I should be at the centre and what's good for me should be at the centre. And actually Paul's saying we need to learn our place. And that's where he goes to next. He says... Um, he says, well, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who well, is able verse to... Is this, mate? Uh, verse 18. Yeah, 18. Of chapter 19, 9. Yep. Um, 19, sorry. Yep. Uh, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? And here's the answer. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall mm. what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use. Now, that's a humbling word. <laughs> Puts you in your place, doesn't it? Because we think, no, I'm really special and I really matter. And you know what? You are special and you do matter. But what Romans is saying is that God's name and God's power matters even more. Mm. And in the interest of God displaying his glory and his goodness and his righteousness and his justice and his mercy... God, in his infinite wisdom, chooses to have mercy on some. Mm. And really, where this all goes, you can keep reading, and I encourage you to keep reading the rest of 9 and 10 and 11. It all comes to a kind of climax at the end of chapter 11, where where are you left? You're left at uh, chapter 11, verse 33, where Paul wraps it up and says, Well, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And then he finishes with, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And so where do we end? We have to end and say, Well, God in his infinite mercy uh, does things justly and rightly and with mercy Hmm. um, in a way that we don't understand. And God doesn't owe me anything because I'm just a human. But if you're a Christian listening to this, this is incredible that he's chosen you 
to be one of the objects of mercy and you should with fear and trembling rejoice that he's done that for you. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're listening to this, you want to respond to this and say, wow, God, there's mercy available and you should run to Jesus Christ because that's mm. the place where you can be part of those on whom God has mercy. Um, I think I heard it explained once, Sam, that uh, how, how do you know if God has chosen you? You choose God. So don't be crippled by, am I chosen or not? You mm. Come to Jesus, r- run to him, That's repent right. and believe, and you That's will right. have been chosen. He will never turn away anyone who comes to him. So go to him now, and then you can be one of those whom he's chosen. Hey, this is really helpful, Sam. And, and, and isn't it wonderful that Paul anticipated all these questions 2,000 years ago? He knew we'd ask this and <laughs> put it in there for us. So, That's really yeah. helpful. But yep. thanks for pointing us to Scripture for the answers. Yep. Kind of a related question that came out from Sunday is... Um, Knowing that God is sovereign in in all things, um, can God actually use kind of wickedness and injustice to to bring about all these plans and purposes? Like, Mm. um, I mean, you mentioned or or Paul mentions uh, in Romans 9.17, you know, he uses Pharaoh for a purpose. Pharaoh wasn't always... uh, (laughs) doing the right thing he was wicked and unjust Um, uh, wicked empires like Babylon and Assyria in in Old Testament history can God use this wickedness to bring about his purposes Um, the short answer is yes absolutely Mm. Um, and in fact quite explicitly God does that Um, and what we need to understand here is is, um, I'll introduce you to a little word and the word is compatibilism Mm. Uh, and that means what that's getting at is that as God does things in his total sovereignty and power controlling everything that idea is is fundamentally compatible it's not incompatible it's compatible with uh, the free choice of those over whom God has um power so it doesn't make us robots or automatons just doing what god um makes us do like with with no with no say that actually there's this sovereign interplay between what god wants and what we want and both can operate at the same time okay now that's called compatibilism and the bible teaches it over and over and over again um one of the most famous places it's taught is in um the selling of, of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis by his brothers into slavery. Um, th- there's two wills going on there. On the one hand, there's the brothers' hmm. evil will. They hate their brother. They're jealous of him. They decide that they want his coat and they kill him. No, they don't want his coat. They want his um, sort of position in the family. They don't want his dad to be um, famous, uh, fav- favourites yeah, with him. Um, and so they kill him. And uh, well, they pretend to kill him. They <laughs> pretend to kill him. They, they drop him in a hole, put some lamb's blood on his coat, take it back to his dad, and say, "Look, he's dead." When actually they've sold him off into slavery. Um, it's pretty wicked. That's a pretty wicked thing. And then, but at the same time, God had a plan for Joseph, and the plan for Joseph was to use him, raise him right up into the ranks of Egypt, which is where he ends up as a slave. It's a hard road, but he gets to the sort of become Pharaoh's right hand man, second in charge over everything in Egypt. Um, And God uses that then to save the people of God in the time of famine. Mm. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is all wrapped together when um, Joseph's reflecting on what has happened with hindsight. He couldn't see it at the time, but with hindsight. And what he says to his brothers when they when they finally come face to face after you know having sold him into slavery and now needing food from his you know repositories of of food, um, Joseph says to them, "Look, I'm not going to hurt you." 
you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. That's Genesis 50, 20. Mm. And that's, that's, a, that's compatibilism. There were two intentions. They did what they intended because they wanted to harm him. Yes. They were in control. They did what they want. They weren't robots. They mm. did what they want. But God was also working, but God was working for good to accomplish what is now being done, which is the saving of many lives. And that's, uh, that's one instance. There's another instance. You see it in Isaiah chapter 10. Um, you can go and read Isaiah chapter 10. And mm. what happens in Isaiah 10 is that God's anger at Israel and he, to punish them, he's going to send the Assyrian army against them to teach them a lesson. Um, and then what he does is uh, sends them in, they, they attack the Israelites, and then God gets angry at Assyria <laughs> for beating up on his people. And you think, well, hang on, why, why, God, you just sent them in. Why are you now getting yeah. angry at Assyria? They did exactly what you want. And what he has this little line in Isaiah 10, I think it's verse 14, where he says to him, um, does the axe uh, raise itself above the one who swings it? Um, and then he goes on to berate Assyria that they think that they have beaten up Israel off their own strength and because they can. And he's saying, no, no, Assyria, you should have known that you were my instrument and been humble about it. Um, but instead, they were proud, and so God judges them. They did what they wanted to do, which was attack Israel, but God was using them to bring about his purpose, which was justice. This is compatibilism. Compatibilism. Is that the word? It, yeah. And again, it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? A little bit like mm. predestination. Like, how does God use our wickedness, but he use it for good, and God still remain good and not be tainted by the wickedness that he kind of uses? I mean, that that's, that is a bit of a mystery again, isn't it? Yeah, and um, we don't have every bit of the puzzle, but mm. we do have very clear teaching from the scripture that both are true. Humans have... Uh, genuine responsibility for their actions and their mm. efforts, um, and will receive the the, the, the the I guess the consequences then for good or for ill. Yeah. Uh, and God is always completely sovereign, and both those things are true. And, and actually, they come in at every at so many points in Scripture. And getting your head around this um, is really important, I think, as a Christian. Totally. Um, if you want to dig into that a little bit more, can I just suggest that the most helpful resource that I've I've come across on this. It's in an older book, but I think it's been republished. The old title of it is, a, is, a, is uh, a Call to Spiritual Reformation. The new title of it, I think, is Praying with Paul. Um, it's right. written, written by a guy called Don Carson. Yep. And if you read chapter 9 of that book, chapter 9, it, it's a book about prayer, and it sort of asks the question, well, hang on, if God's sovereign, mm. how much effect do my prayers yeah, actually why, have? why pray at all? Same idea, and the answer is compatibilism. God, you are, you are able to do stuff, you can pray. Um, God's still sovereign, and he's already got the world history mapped out, but how do our prayers play into that? Well, get your head around compatibilism. And it takes you, chapter nine of that book takes you right through what the Bible teaches about how God's in control, human beings are responsible. I think it's the most helpful thing that I've read on it. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Okay, let's get back into Romans. Let's go back to Romans 1, shall we? Mm. Um, In chapter 1, verse 11, Paul writes, I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Sounds a little egotistical. Paul, a bit full of himself, you know, I'm going to come in riding on the white horse and give you this great gift, aren't I wonderful? Is that what's going on, mate? Um, isn't it God that gives the gifts? Uh, is Paul a bit full of himself? Help help me out. Yeah, good question. Um, a nice little pickup on uh, verse 11. Yeah, um, it's 
I think the, the meaning of what Paul means there is made clear, and this is always good if, you, if you've got a question about what a particular verse means, read a couple of verses yeah, around yeah, it, yeah. and that often helps you to understand because you can sort of follow along. Context. At, at, at context, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. if you read verse 11, he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And then verse 12, he explains what he means. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So that's what he means. That's the gift, is it? Well, that, that's, yeah, that's, we, we can dig into what point. the gifts are. The, the end point of yeah. what, what Paul wants is, is a mutual encouragement. You encourage me, and I'll encourage you. Nice. Um, what is, what, why the language of gifts there? Well, I think sometimes we think about gifts the wrong way. We think about if God gives me a gift, it's something for my own benefit. Um, and, but that's not the way the Bible talks about gifts. God, God gives you things for, for you to give away that's why it's a gift so you can share it with someone else so you, you might have the um uh, the gift of service romans talks about having a gift of serving yep. um in romans uh 12, 12. Yep. um why do you have the gift of serving it's not it's it's so that you can bless others where you can give it away and use it right. for the good of others you might have the gift of uh what are some of the other ones in romans 12 um hospitality, hospitality okay. administration yep. um you have those things, not so that you can have a neat house that just is always organized for your own good. <laughs> you have it for the good of others so that you can bring others in and be hospitable or you can organize other people's affairs in a helpful way for them. God gives you a gift for others. And right. I think Paul's saying, look, oh, God's given me a bunch of gifts and I want to let them loose on you so that so that I can serve you. And, yep. I, and I trust that you've got a bunch of gifts from God as well and you'll let them loose on me and we'll have a mutual, mutual encouragement. encouragement. Nice. Um, Probably for the Romans, it means letting Paul use his gift of apostleship, teaching them, understanding, letting out the message of the gospel. Yeah. And probably for the Romans, given that Paul wants to go on a mission, um, probably means praying for him, supporting him, um, maybe even giving him some financial support, some yep. prayer, whatever that is. Um, yeah, there, there'll be a mutual encouragement as Christians get together and let their gifts loose on each other. That's nice. That's helpful. So I keep thinking in terms of gifts, whatever God has given us, it's not... We're not the end point of that. Yeah. It's for us to be a channel through which that gift can just keep moving. Yeah, that's exactly. And there's part of sometimes where some of the um, the Pentecostal or charismatic teaching on gifting can be a little bit unhelpful. Um, uh, sometimes there can be this this stuff, particularly around stuff like tongues and uh, prophecies, as if God gives those things just so that you can sit in your bedroom and be edified. Um, now, Paul would say that, it, that tongues are edifying, um, but actually they're given to give to someone else, and, and prophecy is given in order to give mm. to someone else, and mm. that, that's the whole point. It's not just so that you can be like, wow, I'm so spiritual and I love it. <laughs> um, and that's where sometimes some of that charismatic stuff can be really unhelpful because mm. it just becomes about a bit self-absorbed and a bit using God's gifts for me. Uh, whereas actually Paul's point is he talks about stuff like tongues and prophecy and all that stuff in the back half of 1 Corinthians. God always gives gifts to give away, to, to, to use for the benefit of someone else. And so if, you, if you've got a word of encouragement, it's probably for someone else. If you've got a, if tongues, if, if that's what God's given you, it, 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 if it can be interpreted, then for, good for someone else. Give it away. Yeah, give nice. it away. Nice. Okay, last question, mate. Uh, and we're going to Acts 21. Oh, this is okay. lovely. Um, yeah. A growth group has kind of uh, asked this question. Nice. Um, this growth group discussed um, uh, if Agapus's prophecy in Acts 21 and Paul's knowledge of the threat on his life, did that impact his writing of Romans? Did he kind mm. of 
feel like because he was almost going, you know, he's soon going to die. His life was in danger. That he kind of had to write everything down in Romans quickly mm-hmm. before uh, before he was gone. Do, do you think Acts twenty one impacted the writing of Romans? Yeah, nice. Look, I love the question in that it's trying to map out some of the timeline and trying to work yeah. out some of the motivation and reading scripture to understand scripture. What yeah. a great thing! That's really, it's really really good. Um, uh, get a bit of context. Acts twenty one. It's verses ten to um, sort of fifteen or so that that, that cap- capture this. And it, Agabus, cool name. Um, <laughs> and and he, he comes out. And he, what he does is he takes Paul's belt, wraps it around his hands, and says um, like as if he's sort of chained up or like by by the belt. And he says, um, "This is uh, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles." And mm. sort of saying, Paul mate, <laughs> as you head down to Jerusalem, it's not looking good. You're yeah. going to get arrested. And uh, so the question is, does, does knowing that kind of fire Paul up to, you know, lay out it all, just write everything down as quick as you quick, can? Quick smart, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's too late. Good thought. I think the answer is probably no, however. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, <laughs> well, um, this happens, so it's about understanding the chronology of the book of Acts yeah. and laying that up with the chronology that Romans tells us about when it happened. Mm. Now, Romans tells us pretty clearly in Acts chapter 15, in Romans yes. chapter 15, yep. that Paul is writing this before he sets out to Jerusalem with the gift. Um, and in fact, you can put two and two together that he's doing it from Corinth because he sends a Corinthian, Phoebe, with the letter. Um, and he sends a bunch of greetings from people who are in Corinth. Okay. Um, and we know from Acts chapter 18, um, sorry, Acts chapter 20, my bad, Acts chapter 20, um, that uh, Paul spends uh, three months in Corinth in Acts 20 verse 3, um, just before he goes to Jerusalem. Um, then he sets out on the road to Jerusalem. It's on the way to Jerusalem as he's carrying this gift that this prophecy comes about. Now, he's okay. already written Rome, Romans by that stage. We know because he's, he's talking about setting off for Phoebe, this journey. Yeah. And he's sent it with Phoebe already. Uh, so Romans is already written by the time that Acts 21 prophecy happens. So gotcha. I don't think that prophecy played any role, to be honest, in, 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 Romans, in the writing of Romans because Paul's already written it. Awesome. But it's a really good thought. Good and, thought. And we yeah. love that growth groups are wrestling with uh, Romans. Yeah. And we hope individuals are reading with Romans. Sam, one of the really exciting things from Sunday was, I think it was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people took the manuscripts and the, and yeah. the questions. Yeah. Um, Great. It's so exciting that people are, are just wanting to get in, wanting to dig, wanting to ask questions and, and understand what Romans is all about. And that that's hugely heartening. So thanks for getting involved. And I hope a couple of days in, you're, you're into Romans, you've done some manuscript work, you've, yep. you've been working hard. Um, if you've got questions, we're, we're here. That's it. That's it. Sam, tell us about this Sunday. Uh, we, we kind of dive into the series kind of more exegetically, verse yes. by verse. We're going to work through one chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. 13. That's correct. Yep. Give us a, a little bit of a tease, mate. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. What can we expect? We're going to dig into um, a little bit more specifically um, what the gospel's about and more, perhaps more directly who the gospel is mm. about. Um, and uh, so we're going to be thinking a lot about um, the nature of, of who Jesus is. Um, and then we're going to think about how the gospel is, is a message that um, calls for a response. And, and Paul uses this um, fascinating little phrase. He calls it the obedience of faith. Mm. And that's what he's um, looking to... That's the outcome he's looking mm. for from his from his preaching. Um, and so we're going to try and understand um, what is the obedience of faith? 
how do those two ideas of obedience and faith fit together, nice. and um, how are they? How, how do they come about from um, the preaching of Jesus? Terrific. Yeah. Sam, thanks for your work, mate. Thanks for answering our questions, and thank you everyone for asking such great questions that push us on. Yeah. And uh, and your questions push other people on as well as they interact with it and with this uh, with this podcast. Indeed. Have a great week. Likewise. See you guys. See you later. Bye.